Thanks for joining us on 2H Sojourner for another Meredith Monday. Very excited to have Chris on with me again, and we're going to be talking some more about uh, Genesis 1 and uh, Meredith Klein's framework theory. More to come. Genesis 1, framework theory, old earth, young earth, dinosaurs, fossils, all of that stuff. We're going to get Ken Hamites burning, uh, you know, the Meredith Klein books. <laughs> or, or, uh, or we're going to get Meredith Klein fans to start burning Kim ha- Ken Ham's books. Uh, one of the two is going to happen as a result of this podcast. No, I don't think it's quite that bad. But um, yeah, we want to be talking about Genesis 1. And we have more to say than then uh, simply, hey, look around for dinosaur fossils and uh, see how, how old or young the earth is. Uh, we think that there is an amazing thing going on in Genesis 1. Um, it's called the literary framework uh, theory. I don't like the concept of theory, though. What do you think about that, Chris? It should be called the literary framework understanding or something. Right. Klein didn't like theory or hypothesis was another one that was going around. He just called it the framework interpretation. There we go. Interpretation. Uh, Or or we could just call it what the Bible says. (laughs) There you you go. So, all right. Uh, I mentioned in in a previous episode that one of my first, uh, just, I think this is true. I can't really remember when I first got onto Klein. Either was via a friend of mine um, and it was via the two kingdom angle or it was... um, uh, it was this whole uh, Genesis literary framework deal. And um, and so I, I came into contact with it, and it, it did blow my mind for, for a few different reasons. I remember, actually, it was so funny because I would, um, I would uh, listen to the critique of Klein, you know, just, just a whole bunch of critiques that, you know, going back and forth, could this be, is this true? You know, you're sort of Googling around and reading a whole bunch of stuff. And I remember... It was the critique of Klein that convinced me uh, of the correctness of his position. I, I just, really? you know, no matter what, it's, that's what I knew. Listen, I need, this guy's got something. And um, there are some things to to think about here. When was the first time you encountered that, that theory or framework um, interpretation, let's call it? Well, what's interesting is the, the first time I ever heard about it was in this tiny little um, super conservative, super fundamentalist reformed denomination that initially sent me off to Westminster and uh, they warned me soundly, do not believe the framework hypothesis. Wow. Um, uh, if you do, then you don't have a place um, in this church. So, Whoa. yeah. <laughs> um, that was a reformed Baptist church, did you say, or a fundamentalist church? Well, I mean, I call them fundamentalists. I'm sure uh, they wouldn't own that at all, right. but okay. uh, yeah, they were not. They were not Baptists. Okay, all right, that's good. <laughs> Although Baptists are guilty, <laughs> guilty as charged with this thing. I mean, wow, a lot of a lot of Baptists are straight up fundamentalists. You know what's amazing to me? I mean, we're in, um, you know, as uh, as a church, we're part of the Reformed Baptist Fellowship and uh, hold to the six ninety nine Confession, which is uh, I'll, I'll confess a ripoff of the of the Westminster. Um, the the whole the whole thing uh, that I'm amazed by is that Klein managed to stay in the OPC and hold this view. I, it, it's just, uh, have you ever thought about that? It's really strange. The only, the only thing I can say is that it must be the presbyteries on the West Coast of the United States uh, that are 
super hyper um, conservative and tend toward fundamentalism. Yes. Um, the rest of the presbyteries tend to be a little bit more willing to live and let live. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Um, because yeah, anyways, I've had to do a few, uh, a little bit of wrestle there, but, um, Lee actually sent me a whole bunch of stuff that, um, was so helpful in terms of just showing that it has a place in the confessional tradition, but mm. yeah, we'll leave that for another time. Uh, so yeah, you, you were saying uh, you got onto that because a church said, Hey, don't get onto that. Yeah. So, I mean, I went in knowing what the stakes were if I believed the framework, but I thought that, um, I owed it to myself and to Klein to give him a fair hearing so that I could at least answer him. And uh, the more I listened, the more persuaded I was. So were uh, you already at Westminster at that point? Uh, yes. Okay. Well, so, so you knew Klein at that point and uh, you were being threatened by this other church. Exactly. <laughs> oh my goodness. Wow. So the stake. <laughs> yes. Wow. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. Uh, so um, the more he talked, the more I could see it, um, just arising out of the text. It wasn't something that he was um, foisting on us, um, you know, and trying to, to trick us with. Um, to me, um, the arrangement that he saw in the six days in chapter one were very persuasive. But I think what was even more persuasive to me was the principle of ordinary providence that he saw at work in chapter two, verses uh, five through seven. Okay. Yeah, um, I know. Me too. I found that mind-blowing. Yeah, I mean, that sets the hermeneutical precedent, doesn't it? It does. It's a wrestling with the text. I think a lot of people, I'm not sure, what do you think about Klein? I mean, a lot of people say that he was um, he was just trying to not have to go through the whole um, debate with science, and so was just trying his best to kind of crank things open a little bit and allow for more leeway. I mean, as I don't know if that's true, but all I know is he made a great exegetical case if that was true. Uh, well, what are your thoughts about that? <laughs> um, I, I I don't uh, agree with that criticism at all. Okay, um, so in his in terms of you hearing his lectures, he never he never indicated to you that. He's really just feeling the strain of hanging out with the science faculty, and uh, you know he's just he 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 needs a way to stay conservative, so he's cranking this Genesis one thing wide open. Uh, nothing like that. Nothing like that. Yeah. I mean, as far as I can tell, um, he really wouldn't have spent a whole lot of time with science faculty anywhere, really. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> yeah. And um, in his presentation, all you get is exegesis of scripture and. You know, he might say, and, you know, a, an implication of this, a byproduct yeah. is that, um, the Bible doesn't constrain you, um, to any, uh, particular length of the day. So if you want to believe that there are 24 hours, that's fine. Um, but the text also doesn't prevent you from believing that they were, um, longer periods of time. Right. Totally. Yeah. That's huge. I mean, at some level, you know, it's almost like there are two things going on there. Uh, you know, I've, I don't know if you've even read guys like Wayne Gruden. They'll be like, you know, they'll be arguing their case, doing doing a six-day literal thing. And, you know, they'll constantly be holding out before you, hey, but, but, 
But if science does come back with something a little bit more concrete, we, you know, we might have to revisit this because we don't want to be Galileo or anything. <laughs> you know, so uh, right. he does that. He's uh, no one, no one levels any charges against him. And as I've read Klein, that's all he's doing. He's saying, you know, it's just so it just so happens that this helpfully removes us from the line of fire of anything uh, in direct um, contradiction to uh, a young Earth or whatever it is. And uh, and that's that's only helpful. I mean, uh, to that I say amen. Uh, but the other thing um, you mentioned was just that you know you have you you are able to believe a six day uh, in a six day creation and still benefit from what Klein is saying. Do you think that's true? I do. I th- I mean I think there will probably be some tensions at certain points. Right. Totally. But I think you can um, you can walk away with the point that Klein wants to make, which is that. Moses is actually very interested in theology yeah. in chapters one and two, and particularly the theology of the kingdom of God. Exactly. Yeah, that's great. I mean, because and a lot of the time, I mean, you know, I'll be met with, hey, I'm a big six day guy. And I'm like, good, just just stay like that. But are you seeing that there is something you know, that Genesis 1 is connected to the whole Bible, mm-hmm. and it's the starting point for the story. It's the whole... Uh, good day. My name is God. I made you, and this is where I live. This is how you get to me. You failed. Now you need someone else to do that for you. You know what I mean? It's the mm-hmm. it's the first point. It's the it's the following me. Work six days. Enter into this rest that I created for you. You failed. Now Jesus must come. You know what I mean? Like it, you've got to be able to add that. If you're not getting that, and all you're getting is like I'm fighting for six days and young Earth, and it's just. The thing has been derailed at some level. I try to appeal people. I try to appeal to people uh, on that basis often. Just, just you know, just work with me. You've got to be seeing this with me, and mm-hmm. uh, often it just brings them to a to an openness to at least look at at at, at what they could add to their six day literal view by way of what Klein is saying. Uh, as you say, despite those tensions that might arise, um, and and just and at least get past that that almost sometimes really annoying stupid discussion that just stops people from getting to the gospel mm. yeah well good you've experienced good anything. work mike yeah totally uh, well hey that's part of what uh this <laughs> this whole thing is about right now yeah but yeah totally um good so uh yeah i mean look what are the what are some of the you mentioned the 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 ordinary providence deal in in chapter two um right. so yeah let's uh let's go there and look at it mm-hmm. um Genesis chapter two, verse starting at verse five says, when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up hmm. for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature and uh, the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, and he put the man there whom he had formed. So um, an, another uh, professor at Westminster wrote an article about this, w- which was really helpful for my thinking as well. You see a twofold problem in verse 5. Mm-hmm. There's no wild shrubs and there's no cultivated plants. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, there's a twofold reason for that. Um, the first reason is that God had not yet caused it to rain. Mm-hmm. That's why there were no wild shrubs and 
there were no cultivated plants because there was no man there to cultivate them, to, to till the ground. And yeah. so God caused it to rain and that solved the one problem. And he created man and put him in the garden to tend it. And that solved the other problem. So Klein looks at this whole story here in these few verses and says, well, that's, that's the way God governs and upholds creation right now. That's called ordinary providence. Mm. And if that was at work there in the very beginning, when God was in the uh, process of creating things, then that, that ought to alert us that maybe the order that we read the days in chapter one might not be yes. literal. Right. And it's not like, yeah, because then it, that would militate against the idea that God holds out some sort of supernatural flashlight, you know, before creating the luminaries, you know, and and exactly. and, that, and and so forth. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's powerful. I mean, that's hard to debate, to be honest. I mean, I've, I've seen a few uh, comebacks on that, and uh, yeah, just nothing really significant, to be honest. It's a great place to send people if you are struggling with with um, what's going on in Genesis one. Um, didn't um, Mark Furtado write a, an article about this at some point? Yeah, that's the guy I was referring to, Mark Furtado's article. Yeah. Um, I think it he said because it had rained. Yes, um, And he yes. got a whole reason for why he named it that, but a uh, very helpful article that you should be able to find online. Okay, brilliant. Yeah, so check that out. And then, um, of course, you know, you've got Klein's whole argument as well uh, to, to have a look at. And maybe it's important just to end off by saying we're not saying that God didn't historically create uh, in the way that that He has. Uh, we're not saying that uh, by, by by saying the thing might be not literal that it's not it didn't actually happen. It's just that it the way it's conveyed, the way it's presented, might not be literal. It might be a figurative presentation, so to speak, or a, a presentation so as to allow for this literary device, uh, so as to allow the reader to come to a sure and certain point um, in their understanding of creation. And so that's really the argument. You can you can benefit from that sort of thing, no matter what view you hold to. And um, I, I would definitely commend to you uh, to do a little bit of thinking and uh, reading around that. Uh, Chris, that's all we have time for. Um, let's sign out at this point, man. But thanks so much for, for being with us. Appreciate it once again. Thank you, Mike. And thanks for joining us at 2H Sojourn. See you next time. <laughs>